Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. This is Radio Maria. A very warm welcome. It's our credo, and our regular listeners will know who we have. On. It's our dear friend, colleague and collaborator, Mr. Derek Williams, all the way from Walsingham, I believe. Is that right? Eddie, as always, haven't moved house yet. Still here in sunny, or near sunny Walsingham anyway. All right. That's great. That's great. And today's topic is on the wedding feast. Yeah, I'm going to basically take a look at John chapter two in the context of the Sabbath. Great. So shall we crack on? Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, I'll leave uh, the floor to you and our dear listeners and I'll pop back in before music break very shortly. Over to you. Thank you very much, Eddie. So, listeners, while Eddie's away having a nice long cup of coffee and a chocolate biscuit, <laughs> fat chance, right, Eddie? We're going to get stuck into uh, a study on the Word of God. And as you know, we've been doing the Sabbath rest for the last few weeks. Hopefully you're not too fed up of hearing about me going on and on and on about rest so far. But as you know, uh, all I've done is ploughed through the Word of God, and the, the Sabbath rest is important to God, and therefore it should be important to us. So after much deliberation, I was thinking, okay, how can I explain, how can I talk about the ministry of Jesus in the context of the Sabbath? So last week we looked at Luke 4 and his proclamation of the gospel from Nazareth on the Sabbath day. Um, and this week I thought we'd look at John 2, because whereas Luke 4 is the beginning of his public ministry, John 2 is actually the precursor to that. He hasn't actually begun his public ministry at this point. So if you like, we're taking a little step backwards in one sense, and that gives you an insight into how badly organised I can be when I'm preparing these things. So first I want to look at John 1 and just look at how does John 2 become a Sabbath day? And I'm going to give thanks to Scott Hahn for this, because this can be a result of reading one of his books, I don't know, a few decades ago. Um, and I thought, oh, that's very interesting what is written there. So in John 1, we have a phrase used multiple times, okay? Um, first of all, John 1, verse 1 through to, um, let's see, verse 28, count that as day 1, Okay. Uh, and it begins in the beginning, you know, so it's beginning with that phraseology that is used on day one of the creation account. Um, and it begins in the beginning and it concludes day one. That's how the Genesis account begins at the first part of the narrative. And then you have evening comes, morning comes, and uh, then day two begins. So day one, if you like, verses one to 28. Then verse 29, John writes the next day, so day two. In verse 35, John writes again the next day, that's day three. In verse 43, John writes again the next day, so that's day four. And then in chapter two, verse one, John writes on the third day or three days later, if you like, which makes it the seventh day. Okay, so once again, this isn't my theory. This is a beautiful Scott Hahn theory, one that I actually love and one that I actually concur with. But you have to really, he's got a PhD in something, hasn't he? So we have to, so we look at it from the perspective of Scott. And he's, he's drawing teaching from the Church Fathers as well. And on that basis, the marriage at Cana is taking place on a Sabbath day. Which fits because if you look at traditional um, church weddings, 
traditional, you know, the way they used to be, they were always held on a Saturday, or mostly held on a Saturday, the Sabbath day. So here we have the wedding feast at Cana on the Sabbath day. So we're now going to do a, an examination of this feast, of this, this event, um, this marriage, this wedding feast. And as always, it begins with the, the mother of Jesus was there. Now, this is where Mary gets top billing, okay, but she's not named. And that not naming is very important because John is introducing Mary as the new Eve. And therefore, she's talking about him as the mother of Jesus. And in verse 2, Jesus was also invited. It's almost like the Son of God gets second billing. So, John, the narrative is quite, in one sense, quite humorous here because of the second billing that Jesus gets and his disciples. So, the disciples actually get in third billing at this event. Um, and then the wine fells, and the mother of Jesus, so once again, doesn't say Mary, it says mother of Jesus very important, um, says to him, they have no wine. Now, notice, Mary hasn't, and, I, and I've got this from the great Fulton Sheen, from his book, The Life of Christ, a truly stunning work, um, which I read about 20 years ago. But he talks about how Mary saying they have no wine to Jesus. She doesn't speak to the wine steward. She doesn't speak to the bridegroom. She doesn't speak to anyone else at the party. She just says to Jesus, They've got no wine. And there is an act of intercession taking place. Now, I want you to think about a few weeks ago, we looked at um, the visitation of Our Lady to Elizabeth and how John and Elizabeth were both filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary said shalom. One word. Mary married to a silent man, <laughs> Joseph, her, herself speaking very, very little. Um, so she just says one word in that case, and John and Elizabeth were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, her act of intercession is incredible. They have no wine. Okay, first four words. What I'd like you to do is think about that in the context of your own intercession. How often are we repeating our prayers before God? Our prayers of intercession rather than our prayers of meditation. How often are we reminding God that he's got to do something on our behalf instead of just trusting him to actually be God and to bring about the answer to our prayer as and when he feels wise, as and when he wishes to. Now Mary's intercession is stunning. She knows that Jesus is going to answer her prayer because she's in such beautiful communion with him. And this is where we need to be at. This is where many of the saints were at. Jesus says to her, Jesus actually kind of argues with her in one sense, you know, what is that to thee and to me? Um, and then um, this is an Old Testament phrase. And in the Old Testament, you can find it in the Septuagint. And I can't remember the exact power, the exact um, uh, verse and so on. But in the Old Testament, the phrase I think is used twice. One is respect of, what is in respect of a resurrection in the Old Testament? Someone brought back to life. And here we have it here because... The narrative says begins on the third day, which has two meanings. The first meaning is in respect to the Sabbath rest. The second meaning is in respect to the resurrection. When John speaks about the third day, or Bible speaks about the third day, it's always giving us a little nudge towards the resurrection of Jesus. And the, everything changes when Jesus rises from the dead. His mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Who are those servants, folks? The clue is in the question, folks. <laughs> the servants of God. David himself called himself the servants of God, King David. And when a person is on the way to canonization, the first title they receive is servant of God. We are the servants of God. And Mary's given us a very simple thing. First, she speaks to Jesus. They have no wine. Then she speaks to us, do whatever he tells you. We get one more word than Jesus because we're less, we, we don't hear Mary as easily as Jesus does. Do whatever he tells you. Now, Mary's told Jesus to got no wine. And then, um, oh, there's one thing I missed out on, which I want to quickly run back to. When Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. This is a glorious phrase taken from Fulton Sheen. 
Uh, so Fulton Sheen gives a great insight into this one, where he talks about whenever Jesus talks about his hour, he's talking about his passion. Now, by Mary pressing in and saying, do whatever he tells you, Mary is effectively saying to Jesus, your private time has come to an end. It's time to go. And she's basically sending her son to the cross. Because when Jesus is living the hidden life, he's living the quiet life at Nazareth. Once he goes out into the public arena, that's when he's going to enter into spiritual warfare. That's when he's going to enter into conflict. That's when he's going to enter into the suffering that will lead to his death and resurrection. And Mary is literally, as if you like, co-redemptrix, saying, right, it's time to go. It's time to go do what you came to do. And Fulton Sheen has this wonderful, wonderful line. Everyone else in the, in, who has ever been conceived was born to live. Jesus is the only one who was born to die. So beautiful saying, very powerful saying. And here encapsulated Mary sending Jesus into his public ministry. And it's on the Sabbath day. Look at all this is happening on the Sabbath day. This is happening when... The, when the world is at rest, okay? Um, now, Mary says to the servant, do whatever he tells you, because this is the way to grace. This is the way to the life of grace. And Jesus, for the last six or seven weeks, has inspired me to give you a, an ongoing catechism on a Sabbath rest. What's, you see, when we come to Jesus and we're in relationship with him, and we're sort of say, I, th I hear people say to me all the time, what does God want of me? What does God want me to do with my life? And I really want to do things for God. I want to go here and go there for God and do this for God. What if God was to say to you, I don't want you doing anything for me for the minute. I want you to learn how to rest in my presence. Step one, rest. It's all the way through the Bible. You can't argue with God on this one because it's all the way through sacred scripture. And it was normal in the Christian Europe for the Sunday to be a day of rest until a short while ago. So rest was a, a key part of the way of, of the life of being a Christian. It's the key part of the life of being a, a Jew. They have their, seventh, their, their Sabbath rest. We have our Lord's Day rest. So what if God, what if you come before God and God says to you, I just want you to rest. Do whatever he tells you. Five words. Do whatever he tells you. And if that means nothing, then you do nothing. You learn the art of rest in his presence. And I can promise you the art of resting in his presence is one of the most painfully purifying experiences a person can have. It is far, far easier to keep yourself busy. Being busy is a great joy because you don't have to confront yourself. The moment you start to rest and be in God's presence, your ego starts to be purified because often we cause our dignity as human beings to rest upon what we do and not who we are. Well, you're not going to progress in your interior life unless you get self-knowledge. And self-knowledge comes through being, not through doing. Very important. Now, six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. What I love about these six stone jars is that they were there for purification, but they were utterly useless when it came to purification. Because we would, um, they, we can wash ourselves, we can wash our face, we can wash our hands, we can wash our feet, but we still have impure hearts, impure thoughts, etc. So the stone jars were useless in that respect. Jesus is about to take something useless and turn it into something useful. And without discussing with his mother, his mother says, do whatever he tells you, without saying anything to her, he simply tells them, fill up that with water and then draw some out. He doesn't even use a word of command. Water be turned into wine. Or he doesn't even put his hand in the water. 
and, and turn to his heavenly father. Why not? Because later on in the gospel, Jesus will tell us, I only do what I see my father doing. So through Mary's intercession, Jesus is already seeing, oh, the father is at work. The father's going to turn water into wine. So I need to get the water very quickly. Think about that dynamic. Yeah. He knows the father is at work and he knows the father wants to turn water into wine. So all Jesus has to do is get the wine ready, get the water ready. We need to fill these jars up, guys, because that water is going to be turned into something spectacular in a minute. And there's a restful dynamic behind here because Jesus doesn't do the work. Later on, he says, my father is working up to this moment. It's the father doing all the work. Jesus just says to the servants, fill that up with water. Now, folks, I want to encourage you in something here because, you know, Jesus is, is, is just is not telling anyone that, okay, if we were at a wedding feast and we found out that the bar has ran dry, within minutes, some of the, and I'm going to be stereotypical here, some of the guys will be down at the local pub or down at the local Tesco grabbing bottles and, and cans and bringing a, a cartload back to the wedding feast. I've experienced this myself. You know, I was, I was working in a bar in the autumn and we ran out of beer and I had to stay and watch over the bar. So there's this uh, friend of mine, a deacon comes in and I said, we've run out of beer. You know, that people are asking for the beer and we've run out of it. Five minutes later, when he walks with cans of beer, <laughs> it's what we do, yeah? Jesus doesn't do that. It's very restful, very calm, very peaceful. Look, fill these up with water and then draw some out. And it's turned into the best wine. Now, look, Jesus is performing this miracle. This is the first miracle of nature that Jesus performs in the New Testament. He's doing it through his mother's intercession and he's doing it on a Sabbath day. And think about the fact that he's he did in, in when we were looking at last week in Luke's gospel, he was preaching the gospel on the Sabbath day. Look at what Jesus is doing on the day when you are supposed to be resting and receiving him doing his ministry to you and Our Lady Mary doing her mother to you, the mother ministering to the child. Okay, join these dots together. Uh, what's the importance of six stone jars? Well, six is man's number, first of all. So it's symbolizing us in that sense. And the stone symbolizes the human heart. You know, in the prophet Ezekiel, it says, I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will fill that with my spirit and I will write my word upon your heart. Now, thankfully enough, the wine stewards, the servants obeyed Jesus. And he says to them, now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast, who then took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water and now become wine, did not know it where it came from, he said to the bridegroom, every man serves a good wine first, and my men have drunk freed and poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now, there's a lot more I'm going to say about the final sentences here. Um, but first, I want you to tune in to the fact that the good wine is available to you now. We just need to tune in to what the good wine is. And I think my first song that I've picked for today is called You Love Surrounds Me by Todd Gnoski, a phenomenal singer. I love this singer. I've had this album or CD, I should say, for probably in excess of 15 years. And I used to, when I used to travel around the country um, in my car, my first wave of evangelization, I would play this CD all the time because I just loved the electro pop and the, the powerful, um, as it were, ministry that Todd had when he sings this incredibly beautiful song. So we're going to listen to this. Obviously, ready.
wonderful song there. Your love surrounds me, chosen by our guest speaker. Well, he's not really much of a guest. He certainly is a speaker, but he's part of the family now. You know, he's been there, uh, been giving us all these uh, wonderful insights in uh, into the Old Testament and uh, specifically uh, the Sabbath. And today, Derek's been speaking about the Sabbath and also the wedding feast. Correct? This is it. We're looking at um, John chapter two and the wedding feast of Cana. Um, and um, I like the fact that I'm now part of the furniture. Thank you, Eddie. Well, part of the family, the furniture. No. Hand the airwaves back over. <laughs> I was going to say, let's not proceed down that rabbit hole any further. Exactly. Yeah. Well, right, okay, back on with the word of God. Okay, folks. So, John 2, we're looking at this miracle. And I'm just going to read out something about um, the hour. Right. Um, this is from Fulton Sheen, uh, The Life of Christ. The moment the hour began, she became the woman. So it's talking about Mary. Right. She would have other children too, not according to the flesh. Please hear me on that one. <laughs> okay. Fulton Sheen, great theologian, not according to the flesh. Very important. But according to the spirit. If he, Jesus, was to be the new Adam, the founder of a redeemed humanity, she would be the new Eve and the mother of that new humanity. Now, folks, this is incredibly important that we get this one in our heads, really. So I want you to think in terms of when we're meeting with our Protestant brothers and sisters, some of whom are very good when it comes to Mary, but some of whom are very antagonistic towards Mary. Um, we need to learn that we know the truth and we need to learn to stand firm on the truth and that the theology of Mary is rooted firmly in the word of God. Okay, the, the theology of it. So she's our mother. Now, there's a very simple thing you can do here. I once gave a teaching at an evangelical church on Mary as mother many, many years ago. Not many, many years ago, actually, just over 10 years ago. And uh, I'd specifically been asked to do this teaching. So I told, I, I gave a teaching on Mary as the new Eve. And I explained to them that, you know, after the fall, Adam calls his wife Eve, and she is the mother of all. And I said, but Jesus at the wedding feast, gives, and, and on the cross, gives us a new mother, Mary, a woman conceived without sin, a woman who never had sin her entire life. And I said, you've really got a very simple um, a very simple choice to make. Do you want your um, matri matriarchal descend ascendancy to go back to Eve or back to Mary? Who would you want to be your mother spiritually? All that way back. Do you want to be children of, of Eve who fell under the serpent's thumb? Or do you want to be children of Mary who at, and this is what the church says, at no point did Satan have any dominion over her soul. And this is, a, you know, just a very powerful way of expressing the maternity of Our Lady, because this isn't just a Catholic thing, this is a Christian thing. Christians have a new mother, because Jesus gave her to us. As our Lord was a man, she was his mother. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He was to be the new Adam, the founder of her redeemed humanity. She would be the new Eve and the mother of that new humanity. As our Lord was a man, she was his mother and he was a saviour. She was also the mother of all whom she would save, whom he would save. John who was present at that wedding, was also present at the climax of the hour on Calvary. And this is an interesting thing, right? Um, because you have John 2, you've got um, the second chapter of John's Gospel, you've got the hour begins, and the second from the last chapter, I think it is from John's, of John's Gospel, you've got the hour actually happening. In John 2, you've got the wedding feast with the new wine, in John 19, you've got the marriage covenant established upon the cross. So the, the wedding feast in John 2 and the wedding covenant in John 19 are inextricably linked. In both of them, you've got John and Mary, 
And at the beginning in John 2, you've got the hour beginning. And in John 19, you've got the hour concluding. And the new wine is flows from the cross. So John was present at the wedding, was also present at the climax of the hour on Calvary. He heard our Lord calling her woman from the cross and then saying to her, behold thy son. It's as if he, John, was now the symbol of her new family. When our Lord raised the son of the widow of name from the dead, he said, give him back to his mother. On the cross, he consoled his mother by giving her another son, John, and within the whole of redeemed humanity. Now, look at this again. This is from Fulton Sheen, right? This particular narrative. When our Lord raised the son of the widow of name from the dead, he said, give him back to his mother. Now, in baptism, we are all raised from the dead. And when we are raised from the dead, as Catholics especially, we get a new mother. And Jesus effectively says, give that person back to the mother, the new mother, the, the mother of the church, because you're now a member of the church. Remember the day of the Pentecost, Pope Francis gave us this new beautiful feast, Mary, the mother of the church, because we now have this mother in the order of grace, this mother who births us into grace, into a life of grace, a life that is supernatural. What has this all got to do with the Sabbath rest? Well, first of all, all of this is happening on the Sabbath day. This, this whole narrative is happening on the Sabbath day. And we need to tune in to all the things that Jesus did on the Sabbath day, so that when we have our day off, when we have our day of rest, we can see God is at work. In me, his wonders to perform on the Sabbath day. And that is a day of refreshment and renewal. It's a day when we access the new wine. It's a day when we access the fire. It's a day when the hour of Jesus' suffering truly becomes manifest in our lives. And we might say to ourselves, oh, I don't know if I want the sufferings of Christ to be truly made manifest in my life. But those sufferings actually save us. They do not put us to death. Jesus died that we may live. So those sufferings actually produce in our soul life, eternal life. Let me just keep on with this. At the resurrection, he gave himself back to her to show that while she had gained new children, she had not lost him. At Cana, the prophecy that Simeon had made to her in the temple and confirmed, henceforth, whatever involved her son would involve her too. Whatever happened to him would happen to her. If he was destined to go to the cross, so was she. If he was now beginning his public life, then she would begin a new life too. No longer just as the mother of Jesus, but as the mother of all, whom Jesus the Saviour would redeem. And I just want to point out to you something, folks. The very last words of Mary in the Word of God, the very last words that we have of Mary speaking in sacred scripture. Do whatever he tells you. Okay. Think on those words. Now, I'm going to now send you back to Eddie for another beautiful song called Eternity by Misty Edwards. This is a very meditative and beautiful song. And I'm going to encourage you to actually listen carefully to the words because this is, Misty's a, a, a beautifully anointed singer. So just listen to these words and let this minister to you.
This is Radio Maria. Very warm welcome back. And we've been listening to our friend Derek Williams discussing the Sabbath and in particular the wedding feast. And we're going to go back to you now. Thank you, Eddie. And uh, folks, if you've got any questions or you want to discuss this, give me a shout. So uh, we're getting to the conclusion of the wedding feast. Don't forget, this is all happening on the Sabbath day. And Jesus has kept the best wine until the Sabbath day. Okay, bear that in mind. That's when he gives you the best wine. In verse 11, this, the first of his signs. John's gospel is a gospel of signs. What's the difference between an sign and a wonder? Because the gospels talk about signs and wonders, and our faith talks about signs and wonders. Well, signs tend to have a permanency about them. Wonders tend to be temporary, uh, like a flash of lightning or like a miracle. That a miracle might instantly cure someone, but one that once the miracle's finished, the miracle's finished. The cure remains, but the miracle's gone. Yeah. Um, a sign tends to be more permanent. Now, we can take one sign, for example, which doesn't seem permanent, but is, which is the sign of the first covenant with Noah, the rainbow. Every time you get a thunderstorm and it's sunny, you get another rainbow. Temporary, but permanent. They've been going on for thousands of years. Okay. Now, this is a sign, John's Gospel, full of signs. Talks about signs all the time. This is the first of his signs. Now, John using that word indicates a certain permanency about it. Because the good wine is always available to us now. And therefore, it's permanent. And we need to be drinking up this good wine. He then gives us a beautiful phrase, John does. Jesus did at Canaan Galilee. He manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I just want to dig into this word a little bit. The word for manifested isn't the best translation. Sorry, you American. No, sorry, we've got our standard version translators. I prefer the word revealed. The word revealed comes from the Greek apocalypsis. Okay, and I want to just take a look into this for you. Um, just keeping an eye on the clock, watching my time, and when you give, um, I don't know if any callers come through, Eddie, just give me a shout. Cut me off at the, yeah. Um, but I want to take a look at this uh, revealed word. I was listening to a phenomenal teaching at the weekend, a very short teaching by a wonderful man called Petrock Willie, who currently lives, I think, at Steubenville in America. And Petrock was a tutor of mine when I was at Maryvale. And he spoke about something called the pedagogical uh, unveiling. Absolutely wonderful phrase, pedagogical unveiling. Pedagogical is a Greek word. It actually comes from the word pedagogy, which means teacher. So the teach, the unveiling of the teaching. Oh, I think we've got somebody who wants to burn my ears. So back to you, Eddie. Thank you very much for uh, interrupting there. Sorry to, uh, to disturb your, your flow, but we have, a, we have a call from Helena. She's got a question for you. Hello, Helena. Oh, hi, Derek. Hello, Helena. Are you allowed to ask me questions? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think. No. Well, it's the first of what you've been talking about, um, with the the Cana and and think and it seems like Jesus has had a lot of encounters, there's a lot of preaching around meals, and um, as a family, we used to have our family gathering on Sundays and eat together and stuff like that. But then it always makes me wonder, and I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to hear it from you. Uh, for those that need to cook the meal, or those that need to Clean up the meal, and I know that might be like sacrifice or a gift, and so it's not so much work. But what do you, what is, how do you think about that? This is actually a really good point, Helena. And if you remember when I was talking a few weeks ago about the Sabbath rest, on the Sabbath day, it actually says that you're not allowed to light a fire in your dwelling place, which means that even women who would normally be doing all the cooking obliged to take a rest on the sabbath day but actually you're quite right when it comes to jesus and his meals he's often there at meals but once again we sometimes have a decision to make we have a choice to make here and um, so i'm going to talk to you about sacred scripture briefly and then about the te life testimony very quickly sacred scripture martha and mary 
Martha's anxious and worried and trying to get everything sorted. Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary gets told off by Martha, blessed by Jesus. Now, life testimony. My wife is often cooking for us. Father's Day is Sunday. My wife would normally be cooking a meal for us, but my son has stepped up and he says, I'll do the cooking so wifey can take a day off. So all I said to you on this one, Helena, is look for those indicators. There you go. There you have it. All right. Well, thanks very much for phoning in, Helena. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, bye, Derek. Bye. So I'll keep on with this and we'll see if we can get this. To oh, we've got time. We've got time. Okay. So, so I was looking at the pedagogical unveiling, okay, and it's to do with wedding, right? Unveiling from the Greek apocalypsis is to do with the unveiling of the bride. And that's the word used here that John's used. And John, don't forget, John wrote the book of Apocalypse. He knows what he's talking about. So it's talking about the unveiling of the bride. Now, I want to think in terms of husband and wife getting married. In our culture, wife often wears a nice little thin veil and everyone can see a beautiful face. Not so in all cultures. In uh, the biblical tradition, the veil was actually quite thick and you couldn't see your bride's face. And if you went back to the book of Genesis, you'd see Jacob marrying a couple of the daughters of Laban. And he marries the first, he marries the first one. And on the wedding night, after they've had intercourse, he lifts up the veil and he finds it's the other daughter. Um, and then he wants to, he eventually marries the other daughter as well, so he has two wives. Um, but the point is, he lifts up the veil after the marriage has been consummated. Now, this is the inspired word of God. This is what God is kind of speaking to us. And he's talking about how he wants to lift up the veil that rests over the human heart. Paul talks about this in his letter to Corinthians. He wants to lift up the veil so that we can see the glory of God made manifest in front of us, right in front of us. And it's that, that this narrative finishes with this statement. Jesus revealed his glory. In other words, he lifted the veil resting upon the eyes of his disciples and showed them what he's all about. And it says this, his disciples believed in him. Once again, think bridegroom. Okay. The Greek word for believed is pistis. It means to cling to, to cleave to, to rely on, to depend upon, to trust in. It's the same word used. One of those words is the same word used in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2. Or th yeah, two, two uh, when the father, when the husband will leave his mother and father and he will cleave to his bride. Yeah. So the Greek word for believed doesn't just mean, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Doesn't mean that. It means to cling to, to rely on, to depend on, to trust in. That's what it is. That's what it really means when we say, I believe, I trust, I depend, I cling to, I rely on God. That's what we're saying. Yeah. And it says at the end of this narrative that because the disciples saw Jesus beginning his hour, they witnessed the conversation more than likely. Well, it's been recorded. Uh, they see Mary speak her few words, her last words before Jesus, her last words in the, in the Bible, do whatever he tells you. And his disciples hear these words. They see the miracle that he has done, probably without even moving. He's probably sat in his, or he's reclined, isn't he? They're all reclined. So he's reclining at table and he just says, put some water in those stick stone water jars. And they do it. A minute later, they come back to him and he says, oh, draw some out. <laughs> what are you waiting for? And when they taste it, they taste the best wine they've ever tasted. And all I want to say to you folks is sometimes we can be working really hard at things to do with our faith and see Jesus sometimes saying, look, hand it all over, abandon everything to me, become more restful, more quiet, more peaceful. And the, the good wine will start to flow, and I can really manifest my glory in your life. Now, I'm just going to check if there's any more bike riders ringing in to ask a question, <laughs> or if I'm going to go into the final song and we do, do some ministry. Yeah, we can do that. I'm looking forward to it. 
Okay, great stuff. Now, our final song, Eddie, can you remind me? Oh, it's The Presence of Angels, isn't it? The Realm of Your Glory. Yeah. Oh, this is a beautiful song, and I want you to really listen to the words of this song. I often play this song when I'm out there in the world doing some ministry to people, and I'll just get people to stand in the presence of God, and I will play this song and sing it, and the fire falls, and the Lord ministers to the people. So the song itself is only about five minutes long or thereabouts. So we'll we'll ping it on and I'm going to start praying through the words of the song. So just hear the words of this song where he says, I can feel your mighty power. It is moving in this place. God's mighty power is present with you now. Right at this moment, in this moment, God's power is with you, moving in your heart. And ask the angels now to come to you and minister to you. Let God just touch your heart with his presence, with his holy presence. And I'm going to ask God to send his angels to you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. May the ministry of the angels be among us now. We have a rich history of angelic teaching. Let's have a rich time now of angelic ministry. Sit down in God's presence. Let his glory pour down over you. And that glory of the glory of God's presence is healing. It's heavy. It's renewing. It's transforming. So just receive. Receive it. If you can't sit down, just take a moment just to recognize the touch of God in your heart. God manifesting his glory to you. Jesus revealing his glory. Jesus lifting up that veil that has been lifted up through the the teaching, the pedagogical revelation, the pedagogical unveiling, the unveiling of truth and the revealing of truth. And that all Mary is saying to you is do whatever he tells you. Rest, put your feet up, let God minister to your beautiful soul. Let God bring you healing and renewal and transformation. I'd just like to thank Derek on behalf of uh, all the Radio Maria family here and uh, all our dear listeners for everything he's giving us uh, over the last few weeks and uh, we're very blessed and uh, and privileged to have uh, such a such a dear friend uh, collaborating with us so once more i'd like to say thank you and uh i'll see you again next week god willing we'll be here right god bless eddie we'll be here with the fire next week all right bless you eddie you too take care
This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.